From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. But I would argue that as modern day healthcare executives, we can't rely on body cues anymore to build that trust in collaboration. Uh, Connectional intelligence is really the ability to shift our notion of how we connect. A lot of the ways that we measure relationships right now is through the quantity of our meetings, the number of emails we write. But connectional intelligence is that about shifting that notion from quantity to quality. Having a lot of meetings, having a lot of emails doesn't necessarily lead to measurable change. The key is how you harness your the, the intelligence of your teams to really drive change that makes or breaks success. That's Erica Dewan talking about the importance of connectional intelligence in the healthcare industry. We'll hear more from Erica in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. MDVIP's fee-based wellness program provides a better, more personalized primary care experience for patients and physicians alike while providing consistent, stable revenue to your practice. Learn how your group can increase patient satisfaction and loyalty by visiting mdvip.com slash patientloyalty. As a healthcare organization, you routinely check your patient's health. But when was the last time you checked the financial health of your business? Don't let bad billing processes keep you from hard-earned revenue. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see out a claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com assessment. Our guest today is Erica Dewan. Erica is an award-winning keynote speaker and author who has studied human innovation and collaboration for over 15 years. Erica has written two books on collaboration, communication, and teamwork. Erica, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Great. Um, As you know, we've been through a very difficult and chaotic last 18 months. There's really not many other ways to describe that. So I wanted to get an idea from you. What is your life? What has your day-to-day been like over that period of time? Well, you know, the last 18 months have certainly uh, tested me as a leader, as a person, as a mother, as a family member, like so many of us. Uh, You know, I had my second child, my son, six weeks before the pandemic hit in New York City uh, on the Upper East Side, and I lived in a two-bedroom with two kids and a husband uh, when we we went into quarantine. And I think that in many ways, uh, the pandemic flipped our worlds. You know, I traveled as a keynote speaker and consultant to teams. Uh, about 60 to 70 times a year, uh, that all came to a halt, which in many ways was really good for a lot of reasons. It, it, uh, it allowed me to spend time with family 
uh, and in many ways, it was very scary. Uh, you know, my my whole business uh, focused on events and speaking was upended overnight. Um, and I ended up living with my parents, who are both physicians who run their own medical practices um, in, Pe in Pennsylvania for a few months. I, I think that when it comes to what I really learned, um, what I think has been exciting is as, as a family member, I learned about thinking differently about quality versus quantity of time we spend with others. And it really forced me to think about how to effectively work from home in a way that, uh, that set boundaries for work, but also uh, enabled me to not be constantly on a screen when I was with my family. And then from a work perspective, I'll be honest, it, um, it has been a transformative moment. For the last 10 years, I've been an expert on helping leaders and teams build 21st century collaboration skills, connecting in virtual, hybrid, remote formats, no matter the distance. So in many ways, I think the, the digital shift that we've all been through, even as medical practices, has uh, allowed me to bring the service of the work I do to the health to healthcare executives and the healthcare industry in a way that I never would have imagined in the past. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing all of that. I, I, I think it's a wonderful thing that you were able to spend that kind of special time with the, the new child that you had brought into the world. Um, I know it was a difficult time, but to have that kind of connection uh, is really cool uh, that you got to do that. Um, so is the little one running around now at this point? What's yeah, the he's twenty months? <laughs> and and it feels <laughs> like uh, you know, we're we're not living in a new normal now. We're living in what I hope to be a better normal, where we take the lessons of what we've all been through in this chaotic eighteen months, and we all don't just revert back to pre-pandemic behaviors, but really ask ourselves, how can we? I like to say, connect more intelligently than maybe we did in, in the past in our home lives and in our professional lives. Mm -hmm. You were talking about quality versus quantity. That's clearly one lesson you learned from it. Is there something else either about how to communicate with people? Because you have been, as you've, as you've explained, and I saw on your website, you're somebody who travels a lot to speak. And so for a period of time there, I'm guessing you didn't travel so much. So what have you learned from communication uh, elements or communication style that may be different uh, communicating digitally when you're trying to connect to those audiences, if you've done any keynotes uh, from a, a Zoom room or that sort of thing? Oh, yes, absolutely. I've led over 100 virtual Zoom keynotes, or you name it, Microsoft Teams are the yeah. multitude of different platforms available now. I think the key thing that I've learned and I've studied as a researcher also on collaboration for the last decade is that, you know, research shows roughly 60 to 80% of our face-to-face -face collaboration is our nonverbal body language, the pacing, mm -hmm. the pauses, the gestures, the tone, the lean in in a sales conversation, the eye contact with a front office colleague in our medical practice. Now, I like to say in a digital setting, body language hasn't disappeared, it has just transformed. We now infuse what I call digital body language signals and cues that either make or break trust, empathy, respect, simple things like knowing that valuing others visibly now is not eye contact, it's valuing their time, their inboxes and their schedules. 
Uh, you know, when it comes to communication, reading emails carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. <laughs> Giving others what they need to do their best work is not saying, I want you to own this. And then not, and then they struggle to answer, uh, get a question answered because it's in the slew of your 200 emails. But really designing those places and spaces for trust, for collaboration, regardless of distance. And I would argue for the modern day medical practice, if we flex our muscles and think about how we connect better, regardless of distance, we will be much more inclusive, much more effective than even we ever were in the past. Okay, that is so interesting. And uh, thank you for those tips. I'm gonna become a better email reader, so I'm a better listener yeah. moving forward. <laughs> um, we are very honored to say that you will be face-to-face -face, uh, coming up here uh, in San Diego. It's Monday, October 25th. You're going to be a keynote speaker at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. I love your session. It's titled, Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence. Um, for people who are planning to go to that or can't make it to San Diego, what's something that you can share with them today that is really going to be compelling coming out of that session? Yeah. Well, we've all heard of, is, of emotional intelligence in the 90s, but I would argue that as modern day healthcare executives, we can't rely on body cues anymore to build that trust and collaboration. Uh, connectional intelligence is really the ability to shift our notion of how we connect a lot of the ways that we measure relationships right now is through the quantity of our meetings, the number of emails we write. But connectional intelligence is that about shifting that notion from quantity to quality. Having a lot of meetings, having a lot of emails doesn't necessarily lead to measurable change. The key is how you harness your, the, the intelligence of your teams to really drive change that makes or breaks success. So simple things of how your front office connects with back office, how you are speeding up the ways you avoid duplicative work in different teams, how you effectively use different collaboration channels and, and work, work in ways that supercharge what people are doing in the office with those that are working remotely are not just nice to haves, but are what connectional intelligence is all about. And so in my session, I think one of the key takeaways will be how to use this skill to not only supercharge how your teams operate, but reignite a new level of performance and operational excellence that will allow you to gain the competitive advantage in your medical practice moving forward. Mm -hmm. I, I want to follow up then that you use the term connectional intelligence. It is a new term to me. So give me and our listeners an idea where did this term come from and elaborate a little bit more about it, how it's evolving uh, the way we communicate with one another. Yeah, well, I, I was about 10 years ago, I was a researcher at Harvard studying the future of leadership. And while many thought leaders were talking about millennials or technology, what I really realized is that, that uh, what was different today was not just about age or tech tools. It was a new connected mindset here to, to, to stay. And my co-author, Sasha Nicole Jonai, and I called this skill connectional intelligence. We coined the term as researchers. And, and the way that we really define it is the capability to truly unlock value by fully harnessing the power of our networks and relationships. And I want to share with you an example that will really show you what connectional intelligence is all about. 
Uh, it's an example from a law firm, but there's an, a very important element that applies to medical practices. So the CFO of this law firm noticed something happening. He noticed that the youngest associates at the firm were billing less hours than ever before. This was odd because they were giving them more work, not less work. And as we all know, law firms bill by the hours. So they mm -hmm. were wondering why. When they dug into it, they discovered that the young associates had created their own peer-to-peer, Twitter-type virtual network to help each other solve cases faster. Questions like, where's this legal citation? Or who's done this before? It was like a real-time SWAT network outside of reply-all emails and endless meetings and interactions walking down the hall. And it was speeding up productivity through peer-to-peer -peer collaboration in a way that the senior leaders had never knew how to do. And so as I share that story, I think what's important is for all of us as healthcare leaders to think about how are we truly leveraging networks outside of our own, outside of the ways that we've always collaborated, and how are we using our digital shift to actually speed up operations, enable productivity in new ways by truly intelligently connecting all of our networks and teams together. Okay. Now, I've asked the same question about uh, emotional intelligence, but is connectional intelligence something we're born with, or is it a skill that we can hone and sharpen? I mean, give us the 411 on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like to say connectional intelligence has always existed, but it's been more pronounced in, our, in, in the last, I would say, 10 years, but especially the last 18 months. Uh, you know, I would, I would argue that, you know, the great leaders like, uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and Ben Franklin were great examples of connectional intelligence. They brought diverse groups or people or ideas together to come up with new innovations or, or, or new types of value. And in many ways, I believe that connectional intelligence is absolutely something we can build. And it's really built by understanding that the ways that we have worked in the past often relied on that one-to-one, face-to-face body language. But the future of really reimagining collaboration is thinking about how do we connect no matter the person, no matter the silo, no matter the distance. And, and a lot of that has to do with reimagining communication skills. A lot of it has to do with reimagining the power of cross-silo or peer-to-peer collaboration that can create value. And lastly, uh, to shift our bias of who knows the answer. It may not just be the usual expert in our medical practice. It could be anyone from a patient to a junior team member to a peer at MGMA that can bring newer, better resources to us. So that's what connectional intelligence is all about. And you'll learn in my session that it's definitely a skill we can hone and we can all build and grow. Well, can you be an introvert and be uh, have high connectional intelligence, or do you need to be an influencer and have a big social media presence? I mean, what, give us an idea of that. Yeah, great question. You know, I would actually argue that some of the most uh, thoughtful leaders in connectional intelligence are introverts. Uh, it, it's not about being an introvert or extrovert, and I think in many ways, it's about shifting the notion that, um, you know, connectional intelligence is about a quantity of connections. It's really about how we leverage our relationships and, and really drive value from them. So let me give you an example. I know a leader who ran a team where they always used to meet in the office. They would have regular meetings. There was no agenda. They would start seven minutes late. They would, in the next meeting, talk about what they discussed in the last meeting because there were no notes. 
Now uh, she's an introvert and she uses her connectional intelligence. She's had to work virtually with her team. She always has a clear agenda. She sends 48 hours in advance. At the beginning of meetings, she has everyone share their answers to questions in the agenda in the chat tool first, and then calls on people with different or diverse perspectives and always has clear notes that are sent out within 15 minutes of the meeting. I like to say that's the new virtual handshake. She told me she has heard more from her introverts of her team in a virtual setting than she ever heard from them in the office because traditional body language bias often co caused those that were more senior, that had been around longer to, or that were extroverts to take up the stage. And by really using things like the chat tool that we've all learned to use in video settings, she's avoiding turn taking. She's enabling to, a, a way to avoid groupthink and bias that was often happening in, in places where we had high proximity with certain people, but not with everyone. So in many ways, I would argue, connectional intelligence will allow us to engage introverts even more than we ever did in the past, and really anyone across their gender, generation, age, culture, that we actually can include much more thoughtfully now because of the transformation we've been through. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting that you say that because uh, at MGMA, we were remote for pretty much 18 months or so. We now are doing a hybrid model, working in the office three days a week, but we were working through teams to communicate. And many of us did notice that new voices emerged uh, in the organization, new leaders emerged in the organization. And like you were talking about, it didn't matter where some of those people were on the organizational chart. I think they, their voices, they, they felt emboldened and empowered to be able to uh, weigh in on things where it can be a little intimidating for certain people. Um, if you're in that big uh, meeting room, conference room with uh, 20 other people and maybe uh, some really dominant uh, personalities. So what, what else can you share about that dynamic? You know, I think more than ever, uh, we have to be much more thoughtful and inclusive in the different ways that we communicate in virtual settings, simple things like with introverts, making sure you have that thoughtful agenda. They need time to digest and think before a meeting, whether it's in person, on video screens, or in a hybrid setting. Um, secondly, I like to say in meetings, we have to think more like TV show hosts than office hosts, where we often you know, relied on those body cues. Don't shy away from calling on people to share, cutting people off if they go too long. This will really enable you know, those that normally wouldn't speak to share and don't forget the power of the chat tool. If you have a hybrid meeting where you maybe you have back office folks attending with front office, have a live host and a remote host. Have the remote host lead the first half of the agenda you know, to avoid that proximity bias. Keep the use of the chat tool to enable everyone to share in real time together. And even make sure you have a video camera in the live room so remote attendees can read body language. And last but not least, when it comes to extroverts, give them airtime. They need it, but manage it right? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's pre-meeting brainstorms or making sure that you have a good moderator, these things really matter because let's be honest, great meetings make great teams in our modern world. Right. Do you encourage having a, a buzzer or something to buzz people out <laughs> who talk no, too long? Everything from the iPhone, the, the clock <laughs> going off to be thoughtful about it. And I think valuing others today is about valuing their time, their inboxes and their schedules. Uh, so, you know, I think it does start with, um, you know, s engaging and understanding that when we run a meeting, our job and our expectation is to define 
Here's what success looks like at the end of the meeting. Here's how I'd love for all of you to thoughtfully engage. Here are our norms around it. And if we all stay present, I'll end the meeting 10 minutes early. I like to say that's the hmm. new art of respect and avoid a lot of multitasking. I think that's happening more than ever. That's, that's a good carrot to use to uh, <laughs> present something with uh, uh, the team with uh, the idea of extra time on their plate. So that's always good. So I did want to go back into your, your past, either your childhood or your, uh, you know, your academic years. But when did that spark for innovation, for collaboration, for communication, all of these pieces come together for you um, so that you did become a keynote speaker, so that you did you know, create ways of thinking uh, that help individuals and organizations. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, I grew up as a shy, introverted girl. My parents were Indian immigrants who were physicians but started their own medical practices uh, in, in the, in the 80s and um, in the 70s, actually. And I remember spending every summer at their office and um, working with them, helping to do billing and such, working with their teams. Um, but, you know, as a shy kid, one of the ways that I really was able to find my voice was by deciphering other people's body language. At school, I would watch the popular girls with their heads high, the cool kids slouching during school assemblies, and, you know, in the summers working at the medical practice, I would watch my father, a cardiologist, use his gregarious body language to build that trust and connection with patients of all backgrounds, of all ages. And it really taught me as a young kid that it's not what we say, it's how we say it. But, you know, fast forward 30 years, uh, you know, I became an expert in body language, communication, and collaboration because I learned that it's, it's how we say things that make or break trust, empathy, and respect. But, you know, about five years ago, I found that a lot of my clients in healthcare, in, in pharmaceutical, in insurance, in any industry, a lot of them kept asking the same questions. Questions like, why is there so much misunderstanding at work? Or how do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And just like I realized I was an immigrant to traditional body language as a kid, and I had to hone it because of my background or maybe difficulty with it up at the beginning, Today, we're all immigrants to what I call digital body language. We're all mm -hmm. learning how to communicate and connect intelligently in these new and different ways. And so in many ways, the spark came from struggling to find my voice, but realizing that when we all connect, no matter the distance and no matter the difference, we actually can unleash so much more innovation. Yeah, it's uh, so interesting hear you, hearing you say that and talking about the digital communication. I can remember about 10 years ago, I was at a conference and a colleague was texting. I mean, this is 10 years ago, that recent, but I texted maybe, you know, every blue moon back then. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, this is the only way my teenage kids will talk to me. <laughs> and my daughter was about six at the time. And now she's... Uh, She's 17, so I get exactly what he's talking about. I can learn more through a text and communicate better. So we have to adapt and uh, continue to, you know, mold that communication wherever it goes. Um, that has evolved so much. Where do you see the communication going? I know that we've sort of been thrust into this fast forward mode with the pandemic. So we're communicating digitally more than ever, but... Um, is there more to come? Are we going to be put uh, uh, 
implants, uh, little chips put in our brain where we <laughs> communicate telepathically or what's, what's the next stage well, here? <laughs> I think um, this is like learning a new language. It is. We've all, we've all sort of stepped into a foreign country and there's going to be different regional accents and dialects. I mean, you name it from emojis and exclamations and punctuation marks mean different things. As you mentioned, for younger teammates and now employees, Talking is texting, and there are different tools. The, the example of the law firm I shared, I think, represents that. And so I think that more than ever, we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We have to create clear collaboration and communication norms with our teams. What was implicit in the traditional medical practice now needs to be explicit as we move to more hybrid models, more models where people need to be able to connect regardless of distance. And I think that if we, if we do it well, well, we'll actually drive much more effectiveness and enable anyone, regardless of their title, to, be, to, to really contribute in a way that, uh, that serves the end goal, in this case, patients in, in ways that are better, faster, and, and much more effective. Mm -hmm. So let's put application to this uh, idea so what can our listeners do? These are uh, medical practice leaders, physicians, nurses who listen to this podcast. What can they do? Um, what are steps they can take to help themselves and help their teams um, create better connectional intelligence for themselves? Yeah, well, I think it starts by remembering that better relationships are not based on connecting more more meetings, more emails. It's really connecting intelligently. We're seeing a lot of exhaustion, a lot more bad meetings that are 60 minutes that could be five, that used to be five minute, quick, 10 minute, quick touch bases. Uh, and some of the tools we're using are eroding effective collaboration. So I'm going to give four tips here. The first key one is what I call value visibly. And valuing others visibly is no longer about eye contact or the head nod. It's valuing your colleagues' time in boxes and schedules. It's acknowledging those individual differences like introvert, extrovert, really practicing radical recognition, remembering that saying thank you and showing that recognition matters in a different way. The second key tip is what I'll call communicate carefully. Remember that reading carefully is the new listening, writing clearly is the new empathy, and thinking before we type actually carries a lot of weight, especially as a leader. Brevity can create a lot of confusion. The third key uh, tip I want to share is to remember that collaborating confidently now is really making sure that everyone understands what other teams do, what other silos do. In meetings, they understand why they're there and how they can contribute. And there's really clear norms around how different silos can connect and collaborate with each other. And the fourth and final tip is what I'll call assume good intent. Uh, you know, the tone of emails can get misinterpreted. There can be a lot of confusion in terms of our digital savviness. And so really creating that culture of giving others the benefit of the doubt, checking biases and, and making sure there's water cooler moments, not just for those in the office, but those regardless of their distance. Okay. Well, that is awesome. So let's, let's fast forward then. So we've put these steps in place. Then how do you recommend we measure it? I measure what we've put in place to see that it's working or where there's still some additional steps or tweaks that need to be made? 
You know, I think um, what what's really critical right now, especially in this pivotal point, is to first really set a baseline of what not a new normal looks like, but a better normal. Talk to your teams about what does good look like, it, you know, as we reimagine how we drive performance, how we'll remove proximity bias of those not in the room, how we'll drive better communication norms, and you can really use it as a baseline. Secondly, make sure you have some clear collaboration norms in four areas. The first is how you build team spirit. Maybe you'll have virtual water coolers. Maybe you'll have mental health breaks that you do together as a team that really build those connections. Um, secondly, meeting culture. Having clear norms on meeting culture and digital communication really matter. And lastly, collaboration tools. What tools do you use when and why? And last but not least, once you've had that team agreement around what good looks like and set some clear collaboration norms in these areas. Set some champions on your teams that are assessing success and making sure that there's a polite correction method. If people are reverting back to old behaviors, I like to say, you know, talking about new ideas doesn't matter unless we implement them. And we also implement ways to improve over time. So it could be setting up three minutes at the end of the meeting to share what went well, what could be improved. Or, uh, you know, having regular monthly gatherings where people talk about risks or bad news or risks that we may not be seeing together that we should bring up. These creative and thoughtful places and spaces will allow each and every one of us to connect more intelligently, not only with my our teams, but really serve patients better as a result. All right. Well, Erica, it's been a pleasure getting to meet you and learn from you today and looking forward to meeting you in person in San Diego. Can't wait to see you all there. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Erica Dewan. You can hear Erica speak on this topic at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference, Monday, October 25th in San Diego. Go to mgma.com slash mpe21 to register today. Also, thanks to MDVIP and to CareCloud for sponsoring this week's show. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see how to claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com slash assessment. An MDVIP's fee-based wellness program provides a better, more personalized primary care experience for patients and physicians alike, while providing consistent, stable revenue to your practice. Learn how your group can increase patient satisfaction and loyalty by visiting mdvip.com slash patient loyalty. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe, and thanks for listening.
Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.